Welcome to the Social World Podcast. I'm Dave Niven, and as always, it's a pleasure to have your company. Now, today I've got a very special guest, Monique Offray, who is in Canada, in Calgary at the moment. And, um, oh, it's her, her accomplishments and her, the posts she's held and hold are just too much to actually list in total, but I'll make a start. Anyway, before I do that, though, Monique, you're very welcome to the program. Well, thank you, David. It's such an honor for me to be participating in this forum with you and your guests. Okay, great. I'm glad you are. Now, you are, apart from the chief executive of CARIA, which you'll explain in a minute or two, you're also the president of the Commonwealth Association of Social Workers. You're also, I'm, yeah, is that right? Well, I'm actually the honorary secretary general. Honorary secretary general. Yes. Well, I mean, what's in a name? Yes. Huh? Right, okay. Yes. And you're also, along with myself, I'm very pleased to say, on the um, uh, International Advisory Board of the Global Institute of Social Work. But as well as that, you're picking up honours by the bucketful in terms of prominence, in terms of the women of influence, and in terms of a Canadian thing that we'll ask again about in a minute, and you can explain it to people. But you're very well thought of, and you're very welcome to the programme. Well, thank you so kindly. So... Would you be kind enough? I think the best thing is because there might be just a few of our listeners uh, that don't know you and they would be very interested to know what your journey has been to where you are at the moment and the sort of things that you've been involved with and the sort of things that you're doing right now. Sure. Where do I begin? Well, begin at the <laughs> beginning. When did, you, when, did you, when did you qualify for what, on what profession and so on? Yes. Well, I, I am a Francophone Canadian from the east of Canada on the east coast uh, of uh, New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. I worked for many years with children with special needs and decided to pursue a career in social work and began my social work education at Dalhousie University in the early 90s. Mm -hmm. And through my path and journey of social work education, I found for the first time that I found myself academically personally and professionally. It just really nourished my soul on so many levels. And I love the pursuit of social work education. I was very um, influenced positively by my professors at the time, one of whom uh, was the Dean of the School of Social Work at Dalhousie, who has now become a Senator, Senator Dr. Wanda Thomas Bernard. And her influence and mentorship of me as a student uh, was really um, instrumental in terms of paving the way for me to have an experience in Europe, actually, um, mm. working in a, an asylum camp in the Netherlands in the late 90s. Right. So um, the introduction of this, you know, international social work community, international social work was profound. And so I knew then that uh, that is what I wanted to continue to do. And uh, led to um, my application to, to, to complete a master's in social work and just continued on this journey of exploration. Um, after working in the asylum uh, camp in the Netherlands, I had an opportunity to work with the Department of Foreign Affairs in Canada as a landmine ambassador. And that journey uh, took me to Cambodia to learn about the impact of landmines and um, 
the devastation of uh, landmines on the people of Cambodia. And my job was to come back to Canada and raise awareness on the issue um, in terms of the support the international community was gaining in the eradication of anti-personal landmines. And so, um, you know, that was an honor and a privilege. And the training that I received from the Department of Foreign Affairs at the time and the ILX department was just um, such a, an opportunity because of the, the, the breadth of training um, that it gave me as a young professional. And I've been able to apply that to my career. So things like, you know, government relations, media relations, fundraising, event planning, hosting diplomats, you know, all of these interesting things that we don't always think of when we're pursuing a career in social work. No. It was a platform for me to launch from. And mm. so I felt incredibly privileged over the course of my early years um, to meet really interesting people and just to keep my heart and mind open to um, influences that yeah. I originally don't necessarily think about. So it, anyway. seemed to, it seemed to rocket you into strategic rather than kind of operational face-to-face -face work, didn't it? That's how and, it sounds. Yeah, and at the same time, you know, um, I, I, I reflect, I continuously reflect on what I learned working with asylum seekers in the Netherlands and their experience and their vulnerability in terms of social work and, um, you know, the incredible privilege we have to be agents of change and to work compassionately and from a strengths-based perspective to um, walk along a path with those who come to us for support and, and help. And so although I find myself in roles at, at a more senior level in terms of strategy and strategic work, I hold dear the experiences I've had face-to-face -face with clients. And that mm. what is what continues to influence uh, my philosophy and my vision and my passion for the social work profession. You, you talked a minute ago there about all the different kind of roles that you've had to um, assimilate, um, yes. the different hats you've had to wear. Yes. Um, and obviously, but you said it with such enthusiasm. I mean, yes. it has it, it, obviously it, it sounds to me as if it's something that you um, you enjoyed, to put in a wonder better word on it. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. I, I, I love what I do. I'm passionate about what I do. I, um, you know, even yesterday had a very informal Zoom coffee chat with the staff of Caria, and it absolutely just cheered me up. Uh, <laughs> I feel so fortunate to be able to do what I do. And I, I referred to being an artist to my staff. I said, you know, being a CEO, a chief um, operating executive officer, um, allows me to hold a paintbrush and to... Um, co-create and design a path forward in our enterprises, whatever they happen to be in terms of. Or, That's you know, a lovely segue, Monique, into Caria. So why don't you paint us a picture of Caria? I'd love to. Um, I live in Alberta now. It's in the West, uh, very close to the Rocky Mountains. It's a beautiful part of the country. I moved here in 2012, so I consider myself to, to be a newcomer for sure. 
Makaria has existed for 110 years, which to many of your listeners is not a long time, but in the Canadian context, and particularly in Alberta, uh, Caria existed before the city of Calgary existed. Um, <laughs> it uh, held a different name at the time, uh, Calgary uh, uh, Community Services. Uh, what was it actually? Calgary Family Services. Right. Anyway, uh, mm-hmm. it has existed for a very long time. The roots are deep. And so the new name, Caria, is uh, symbolic of a hickory tree and the deep roots of the hickory tree, mm. which is important to this organization. They're deep roots in community. Uh, they hold relationship to be very important. And uh, what exactly does Caria do? Well, it wants to make sure that no Calgar- Calgarian is left behind. And the mission is to ensure thriving families for generations to come. So the breadth of the work of Caria spans the entire lifespan, actually, from birth to uh, elder years, uh, working with individuals and families in multiple ways. There are over 45 uh, programs that um, are sort of categorized uh, from in two categories. One is predominantly clinical in its orientation, strong families and community. And the other is more grassroots and community development oriented um, and is um, multi-generate, looking at multi-generational. Um, that's a heck of a client group base, isn't it? Uh, what a constituency. You've got every age group in there. We do. We do indeed. Yes. Yes, we do. So it's, it's very interesting to me to um, conceptualize possibilities of linking our constituents into some research and perhaps applying um, a lens to looking at our impact across mm. the lifespan. Do, do, do your staff, um, do they fall mainly into kind of like generic skills or do you have sort of specialist groups in terms of staff? We definitely have specialists on our staff. Um, we, you know, particularly in the clinical realm. Um, and so, you know, working with youth, uh, is, and family systems and so on. I believe that, um, our organization has been seen for many years as holding a particular expertise in this way. And, um, you know, we've been doing it for a very long time. I, I have staff who have been with the organization for more than 40 years. Wow, that's considered that's very good sort of loyalty. Loyalty, and I think a yeah, regard for the organization and the, the impact that uh, the organization has in the community. Maybe just pick, it's such a huge subject, pick one at random at the moment, you know, just a particular initiative maybe that Carrie is involved with that you're particularly proud of, and just to give us a sense of what you're, what you're doing. Absolutely. Well, we have a very exciting project on the horizon. Um, it is in partnership with Calgary Housing Corporation, which is a um, uh, affordable housing, uh, social housing entity here in Calgary, along with Calgary Land Trust, where we have acquired uh, a large space within a residential um, apartment complex to create a community hub in the space that will serve um, multiple generations and, and individuals within our community to come together in this space to share space together in multiple ways. So there will be a community kitchen, um, there will be um, a, you know, a little library, an art space, 
um, staff space, a space for other community organizations to come together. And the vision for this is in this community hub, again, is to um, break social isolation and to make sure that the community can come together safely and in ways that continue to support one another. So I just love the possibilities here. And I know that my colleagues in Calgary are very excited about what this means for this particular community, which is situated in the east part of the city, East Village. Um, and we're calling it the uh, uh, Village Commons. Mm. I think you're actually creating it at a very opposite time too, because with the kind of lingering fallout from COVID in terms of, you know, rebuilding communities, it just sounds like just the ticket, what's needed. Yes, yes. You know, COVID has created so many stressors um, for people uh, globally. And for us, uh, particularly around mental health and food insecurity, we're finding that, um, you know, uh, not having social contact with others, uh, particularly for vulnerable populations, mm. is exacerbating health outcomes, negative health outcomes. And so we are being strategic and mindful of what we can do to continue to create safe spaces um, to ensure that our community members have their needs met. And so we're really delighted to have the trust of our partners to be able to launch this initiative and our doors will open in February. Okay. So very happy. No, that sounds imminent and that sounds great. Uh, maybe this is the best time. I, I'd like to hear your opinion about, let's following COVID, if you like, mm -hmm. there's going to be an enormous economic reaction and there's yeah. also going to be desperate social needs. Yes. Um, and if you could sort of not just talk of Calgary, but I'm sure it's a microcosm of Canada anyway, but generally speaking globally or certainly Canadian-wide, I mean, where, where do you see the biggest challenges coming from the fallout, if you like, from COVID? It, that's such a tough question to answer, and my mind continues to um, to go to places where it's a bit of a dark a dark mm. place to go. Mm. It goes against my nature typically. Ah, uh, right. But, but I, you know, I I'm saddened by um, some of the social responses that we're seeing to the stressors brought on or exacerbated by COVID. You know, domestic violence on a global scale yes, yes. has been on the rise for many decades now. Mm -hmm. And we know from a global context that COVID has increased not only the numbers of women who are uh, victims of domestic violence in this context or circumstance, but the level of, um, of violence, the, the the violence is getting uh, even more, and and the fatalities, the femicide, uh, is just. Um, no, I'm I'm with you there, Monique, because that is a global problem at the moment. It really is. Yeah, and so you know, getting back to your question, we have to respond to social problems that existed prior to COVID, but now have become even more on the surface, if you will. So looking at the uh, economy, the political economy, the environmental um, challenges, 
you know, those, they have all existed prior to COVID, but now uh, are even more heightened. So, you know, I, I'm, I am hoping that we can remain compassionate for our neighbors and friends while also keeping an eye on each other in ways that we haven't been forced to do before. Um, and so that's very, very difficult. So, yeah, that's you've put your finger on it for me. Uh, I mean, that is exactly I think I, I mean, I don't think there's any absolute science, because we've mm -hmm. never been here before. But mm -hmm. but the idea of what you just said resonates the idea of community, the idea of good neighbors, the idea of, of actually um, putting aside any kind of smaller neighborhood issues to come together for the good of the entire community. I mean, I, I think that is going to be a worldwide requirement. Yes. Um, and I was talking to, to somebody who we both know, Jong Tan in Singapore from the, the Global Institute, and his take on the whole thing from a, if you like, a Pacific Rim uh, issue as well as out there in the Far East, I mean, effectively, is the exact same mm -hmm. as in the Western industrialized countries. Yes. Now, community. It's actually yeah. pulling together. And that, so, you, you know, what you said there was absolutely spot on, I thought. Thank you. Mm. Okay. Well, let, let's just take it a little bit wider. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not going to let you escape, right? Because you, you've just been the recipient of a very, uh, a very kind of um, worthwhile award. Do you want to just say a little bit about what that was? Sure. It's a national award. Um, given out by the Universal Women's Network, and it's a Woman of Inspiration Award. Um, <clears throat> my category was um, Advocate and Agent of Change. There you are. <laughs> I, I was so delighted to hear what my category award was because <laughs> it is exactly what I want to be able to say I'm doing is to be an advocate uh, for, for social change and uh, to continue to pursue that. <laughs> okay. No, I, I, but I mean, it was very well deserved and very well received um, by lots of people I saw on social media, you know, who were all congratulating you. You sort of brought so many people um, out of their lockdown to congratulate you. That was, it was excellent. Okay. Right. Well, we've got Caria there. Um, you had a very quick run through about it, but you, you've got other hats. I know you um, work with the, the Commonwealth Association of Social Workers, but also the Global Institute. But that means essentially that you're, a, in my view, you are somebody who's an internationalist. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. And uh, being a part of an international advisory group is, mm. again, what allows me to keep my view um, you know, to continue having uh, a place to be inspired and learn from the international community and to participate in international work. So, you know, I, again, I was speaking to my staff about this yesterday, again, in this informal coffee chat on Zoom, and my staff were actually very grateful uh, that I'm able to apply this global lens into the work that we're doing locally. Mm. And I can't say enough about uh, just the camaraderie support um, that the international colleagues, whether it's through the Global Institute of Social Work um, and or the Commonwealth Organization of Social Work. Mm -hmm. Very supportive uh, group of people who are so hardworking and ultimately just want to make sure that, um, that there is access 
You know, and that's what I really love about the Global Institute for Social Work. It, mm. The impetus around the creation of the, so, the Global Institute of Social Work was to give access, online access, to social workers around the world. Mm. Mm. Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, I couldn't. I mean, I, you're a veteran of it, as opposed to I'm only been in there for two or three years on the same committee as you. But you've really been established there, haven't you? Well, gee, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> gee, thanks. No, no, no. It's, I, th I, I totally agree with everything you're saying. It is an enormously worthwhile thing. And I wish uh, an awful lot more of um, national social work bodies would um, recognize the depth of experience that's available to help them in their work. Absolutely. I think sometimes we get stuck. Um, our, our, our lens is so internally focused that we forget it's okay to cast our gaze upward and outward. Mm. And for me, that is my lifeline. As a professional, I need that. I know I do. So thank you to you and our colleagues for continuing mm. to push the envelope and to keep the dialogue going. Okay, well, let, let's talk about that, that, that future, because uh, whether it's CARIA, whether it's international, whether it's wherever, it is going to... Um, influence the actual delivery of social work from now on and that is technology yes. and um and and the different forms of media now that actually um dominate yes. um have you i mean have you come across much change if you could actually objectively look at your you know work and delivery of work over say the last few years Mm -hmm. um, in terms of what might be possible in the, the social work community, in terms of what you might offer. I mean, you're quite uniquely placed in that you have got involvement with so many different um, client groups. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you know, as you're asking that question, my mind falls back to um, the international community's work on the eradication of antipersonal landmines in mm -hmm. the land. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, many people don't realize this, but it was civil society that was able to come together and galvanize the action and mobilize uh, the action forward through Internet. And, and we're going back to the 90s here. You know, yes. And, and yes. with incredible power. And so... I hope, you know, many of us are complaining about too many Zoom meetings and we're too wired to our technology at the moment because we have to and we haven't had enough human contact. Uh, but we can't forget the opportunities that we have to mobilize and to galvanize actions through collective efforts. And this is why forums like this are so important. Um, and, you know, shout out to, to things like LinkedIn as well <laughs> to mm -hmm. keep us connected professionally and to know about one another's work and to support one another through that type of professional. No, I, I, absolutely. And Twitter. I, I just love it. So um, you know, <laughs> for those of you listening who are inspired to continue opening the envelope and checking to see what others are doing, um, keep, keep, keep that up, please. It's just so important. Now, one thing that's dominated, if, if there had to be anything that's dominated my frustration, if you like, over the last few decades in terms of social work, is the image of social work in the media. Yes. Um, and, and in the UK, it's, you know, 
probably quite universal, but it's usually a case of that it only really hits the headlines if there's been some kind of problem mm -hmm. or some kind of negative thing or whatever. I, I cannot remember the last time that I actually saw a newspaper headline that said social worker does good job. <laughs> so I don't know if it's the same in Canada, but I mean, but effectively, um, with now broadcast, written and social media being so dominant, yeah. um, do, you, do you have views about improving the image of social work and how important it might be? Would you agree with me on that? I absolutely agree with you on that. Of course, of course, you know, we are on the front line. And I think, I think we have opportunities, but I think it's also on us to, to um, start to create a different dialogue, a different narrative for ourselves. Often social workers don't want to praise their, themselves or they're, you know, they, they are very humble and um, they come to the profession wanting to support others and, and often forget, you know, how to give a shout out to themselves outside of their work context or their, 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 more, their closer um, professional relationships. But it's so important for the world to see us in a different light um, because when people are in crisis and need support, it's social workers they turn to. Um, no one ever approaches a social worker because they want a status quo. Mm -hmm. People come to social workers because they recognize that they need some support. And social workers, you know, I, I'm a great example of taking the profession, my, the application of my profession in different ways that are not necessarily traditional or what people would expect. Um, and, and to give a voice to that. I, mm. you know, I, I, um, I myself, I must admit that I was first in, inspired to become a social worker because as a young person had been acquainted with a social worker whose approach I didn't like. And, uh, and I wanted to do it differently. Did you, I mean, so you talked about your initial days in, in, in the Netherlands. Yes. Um, but I mean, when was the moment when you thought social work was a possible profession for you? I mean, you're not talking about from the cradle onwards, are you? No, you know, when I first started my post-secondary education, I did a BA. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Mm. It really, I was given an opportunity to apply to a social work program, um, really through an affirmative action um, opportunity. And I represented a minority group in my community as an Acadian francophone. And it opened a door for me, and I'll never forget it. Um, and so it wasn't until the, the social work education where I realized this is my place, this is my mm. home, it's my tribe. And I um, continued to pursue it, not because I had to, but because I fell in love with it. I it think was that's so common, actually. I got to say, I, you probably, you know, that people very rarely sort of at school say, oh, right, I want to be a social worker. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I think it sort of evolves in sort of late teens or, or early or, or having to have an experience or an event or something like that. Yes. I actually taught uh, social work at the BSW and MSW level at Dalhousie University mm. uh, for some time as a sessional instructor. And I saw it in the students. 
I saw it in the students and often uh, also with some practical work experience. Uh, it, you know, certainly in the past, people might come to the profession later in their lives. Certainly I did. I had already had, you know, almost a decade of work experience working right. in education. Right. Um, no, it's, it's just a curious, I mean, my own particular experience, I never thought of being a social worker. Um, I, I kind of had one of these teenage angst kind of fits and aged eight, 17, 18, whatever, and jumped on an aeroplane and went to New York and wow. worked in Harlem uh, with kids. Um, we took them upstate, but um, I mean, I was so young and so naive. I grew up about 10 years and about 10 months. So, but for me, what opened my eyes was the people I was working with, the adults that I was working with. Nearly every single one of them were Vietnam veterans uh, because this was the early 1970s and um, the Vietnam War was still raging and all these guys were back and completely out their heads on anything they could swallow. Mm -hmm. And um, yet, in the midst of all of that, they were so caring and compassionate to these young kids coming out of Harlem and Bedford-Stuyvesant in New York um, who had never been out of the city in their lives. And right. it just totally was like a road to Damascus for me. Wow. Wow. So you had this international experience yourself. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I did. But, I mean, it was like... Um, but my, yes, of course. My, but my point really was, I, I rather suspect I wasn't unique in terms of, you know, suddenly coming up on something I'd never considered before. Right, 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 right. Mm. Yes, the magic of that experience is mm. what sort of determined. <laughs> anyway, look, Manny, can I just ask, we're going to be running out of time fairly soon. Okay. But I, want, I want to get some more wisdom out of you. So, um, I want to ask you, as I would, um, many of my guests that imagine that we're, you're talking, you've got a couple of minutes to talk to a, a whole load of a host of younger people who might well be considering social work uh, as a yes. profession. Yes. What, what, what sort of messages would you like to give? I would say the following. Do not be afraid to be a positive disruptor. And what we mean by that is uh, challenging the systems to apply critical analysis um, in your work and in your view. And the other would be, don't be afraid to take a leap of faith. And I would say that for me, certainly every move I've made has required me to challenge my own status quo and comfort zone and uh, went for it. And going for it is scary, um, but don't not do it because you're afraid. And I think social work is about change. And when we when we are compelled to apply change to ourselves personally, then we see some very interesting possibilities opening up. And the last thing I'll say is that life is short. <laughs> and I've learned that uh, through my own recent losses, um, losing my, my dear husband uh, two years ago. And so uh, embrace the journey and, uh, and go for it. That's amazing. I think that's really sort of in a nutshell. 
I will, of course, on the text at the front of this podcast, put all your contact details from Caria. That's all right. Yes, please. And um, follow us on Twitter. Yeah, and, well, of uh, course. And, uh, we'll just keep in touch. We'll put your Twitter tags there. We'll put your LinkedIn, whoever, whatever you want, uh, you know, we'll put on it as we do. And um, it's good, too, that, you know, you'll spread this podcast out to, sure fr- to friends and colleagues as well. But I'm not sure, really, Monique, I, I don't think I want this to be the last podcast we do because it, it can, to me, it's, it is part of the journey. And actually, it's great to check in with people from time to time. Oh, well, I certainly hope we get to do this again. And maybe some of your listeners will have some questions or ideas for, for me to come back. So I would well, just open that yeah. opportunity. There is that one I was asking. I, I did ask about if you, if you could give me the meaning of life. <laughs> I haven't figured that one out yet. So give me some time before I circle back. <laughs> anyway, listen, Monique, it's been an absolute delight talking to you. And I wish you... A great deal of luck and success and um, continued kind of influence, which is obviously something that you've got a lot of. So thank you for speaking to me. Thank you for having me. It's been a real delight.